0: You're listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volume, over 2,500 page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook and there find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by leaving a tip through Venmo, at the handle, Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 22, Paragraphs 775 to 785. Chapter 22. Most Holy Mary is crowned as Queen of Heaven and of all creatures. All her great privileges in favor of mankind are again confirmed upon her. 775. When Christ Jesus the Savior took leave of His disciples in order to enter upon His suffering... He told them not to be disturbed in their hearts on account of the things he had told them, because in the house of his Father, which is eternal happiness, there are many mansions. He further assured them that there is a room and a reward for all, although the merits and their good works be diverse, and that no one should be disturbed in his peace and hope. Though he should see others more favored or advanced, because in the house of God there are many grades and many dwellings, in which each one shall be content with what shall belong to him without envy. For this is one of the great blessings of that eternal felicity. I have said that Most Blessed Mary was assigned to the supreme position and state on the throne of the Most Blessed Trinity. Many times have I expressed myself in these terms in order to point out great sacraments, and similar terms are used by the saints and by the sacred scriptures themselves. Apocalypse 1.4. 3.21. Although no argument is really necessary, nevertheless, for those who have not such a deep insight, I will say that God, as He is in the purest spirit, at the same time infinite, immense, and incomprehensible, has no need of a material throne or seat. For He fills all creation and is present in all creatures. He is comprehended or circumscribed by none." But he himself comprehends and encompasses all things. The saints do not see God with corporeal eyes, but with those of the soul. But as they see him in certain location, in order to adapt ourselves to our terrestrial and material ways of thinking and speaking, we say that he is upon the royal throne of the most blessed Trinity, though in reality he has his glory within himself and communicates it to the saints. But I do not wish to deny that the most sacred humanity of Christ our Savior, and of his most blessed Mother, holds a place supereminent over all the saints, and that among the blessed, who are in heaven, with body and soul, there will be some kind of order in their relative position, nearer or farther from Christ our Lord and the Queen. But here is not the place to inquire into the manner into which this arrangement shall be made in heaven." 776. We call that the throne of the divinity from which God manifests himself to the saints as the principal cause of their glory, and as the infinite eternal God independent of all things and on whose will all creatures depend, from which he manifests himself as the Lord, as the King, as the judge and master of all that is in existence. This dignity Christ the Redeemer possesses in as far as he is God essentially, and as far as he is man, through the hypostatic union by which he communicates his Godhead to the humanity. Hence, in heaven, he is the King, the Lord, and Supreme Judge, and the saints, though their glory exceeds all human calculation, are as servants and inferiors of this inaccessible majesty. In this, the Most Holy Mary participates in a degree next inferior and in a manner otherwise ineffable and proportionate to a mere creature, so closely related to the God-man, and therefore she assists forever at the right hand of her son as queen. Psalm 44.10 Lady and mistress of all creation, her dominion extending as far as that of her divine son, although in a different manner. 7.77 after placing the Most Blessed Mary on this exalted and supereminent throne, the Lord declared to the courtiers of heaven all the privileges she should enjoy in the virtue of this participation in His majesty. The person of the Eternal Father is the first principle of all things. Speaking to the angels and saints, said to them, Our daughter Mary was chosen according to our pleasure, from amongst all creatures, the first one to delight us, and who never fell from the title and position of a true daughter such as we had given her in our divine mind. She has a claim on our dominion, which we shall recognize by crowning her as the legitimate and peerless Lady and Sovereign. The Incarnate Word said, To my true and natural Mother belong all the creatures which were created and redeemed by me, and of all things over which I am king. She too shall be the legitimate and supreme queen. THE HOLY GHOST SAID, SINCE SHE IS CALLED MY BELOVED AND CHOSEN SPOUSE, SHE DESERVES TO BE CROWNED AS QUEEN FOR ALL ETERNITY. 7.78 HAVING THUS SPOKEN THE THREE DIVINE PERSONS PLACED UPON THE HEAD OF THE MOST BLESSED MARY A CROWN OF SUCH NEW SPLENDOR AND VALUE THAT THE LIKE HAS BEEN SEEN NEITHER BEFORE NOR AFTER BY ANY CREATURE. At the same time a voice sounded from the throne saying, My beloved, chosen among the creatures, our kingdom is thine. Thou shalt be the lady and the sovereign of the seraphim, of all the ministering spirits, the angels, and of the entire universe of creatures. Attend, proceed, and govern prosperously over them. For in our supreme consistory we give thee power, majesty, and sovereignty. Being filled with grace beyond all the rest, thou hast humiliated thyself in thy own estimation, in the lowest place. Receive now the supreme dignity deserved by thee, and, as a participation in our divinity, the dominion over all creatures of our omnipotence. From thy royal throne to the center of the earth thou shalt reign, and by the power we now give thee thou shalt subject hell with all its demons and inhabitants." Let all of them fear thee as the supreme empress and mistress of those caverns and dwelling-places of our enemies. In thy hands and at thy pleasure we place the influences and forces of the heavens, the moisture of the clouds, the growths of the earth, and of all of them do thou distribute according to thy will, and our own will shall be at thy disposal for the execution of thy wishes. Thou shalt be the Empress and Mistress of the Militant Church, its Protectress, its Advocate, its Mother and Teacher. Thou shalt be the Special Patroness of the Catholic Countries, and whenever they or the Faithful or any of the Children of Adam call upon thee from their heart, serve or oblige thee, thou shalt relieve and help them in their labors and necessities. Thou shalt be the Friend, the Defender, and the Chieftainess, of all the just and of our friends. All of them thou shalt comfort, console, and fill with blessing according to their devotion to thee. In view of all this we make thee the depository of our riches, the treasurer of our goods. We place into thy hands the helps and blessings of our grace for distribution. Nothing do we wish to be given to the world which does not pass through thy hands, and nothing do we deny which thou wishest to concede to men. Grace shall be diffused in thy lips, for obtaining all that thou wishest and ordainest in heaven and on earth. And everywhere shall angels and men obey thee, because whatever is ours shall be thine, just as thou hast always been ours, and thou shalt reign with us forever. 7.79 In the execution of this decree and privilege conceded to the mistress of the world, the Almighty commanded all the courtiers of heaven— angels, and men, to show her obedience and recognize her as their queen and lady. There was another mystery concealed in this wonder. Namely, it was a recompense for the worship and veneration which, as is clear from this history, the most blessed Mary, notwithstanding that she was the mother of God, full of grace and holiness above the angels and saints, had bestowed upon the saints during her mortal pilgrimage. Although during the time when they were comprehensors and she yet a pilgrim, was for her greater merit that she should humble herself beneath them all according to the ordainment of the Lord. Yet now, when she was in possession of the kingdom, it was just that she should be venerated, worshipped, and extolled by them as her inferiors and vassals. This they also did in that most blessed state, in which all things are reduced to their proper proportion and order." Both the angelic spirits and the blessed souls, while rendering their adoration to the Lord with fear and worshipful reverence, rendered a like homage in its proportion to his most blessed mother. And the saints who were there in their bodies prostrated themselves and gave bodily signs of their worship. All these demonstrations of the coronation of the Empress of Heaven redounded wonderfully to her glory, to the new joy and jubilee of the saints, and to the pleasure of the most blessed Trinity." Altogether festive was this day, and it produced new accidental glory in all the heavens. Those that partook, more especially therein, were her most fortunate spouse, St. Joseph, and St. Joachim and Manan, and all the other relatives of the queen, together with the thousand angels of her guard. 780. Within the glorious body of the queen over her heart was visible to the saints a small globe or monstrance of singular beauty and splendor, which particularly roused and rouses their admiration and joy. It was there in testimony and reward of her having afforded to the sacramental word an acceptable resting place and sanctuary, and of her having received holy communion so worthily, purely, and holily, without any defect or imperfection, and with a devotion, love, and reverence attained by none other of the saints." In regard to the other rewards and crowns corresponding to her peerless works and virtues, nothing that can be said could give an idea, and therefore I refer it to the beatific vision, where each one shall perceive them in proportion as his doings and as his devotion shall have merited. In the foregoing chapter I mentioned that the transition of our Queen happened on the 13th of August, while her resurrection, assumption, and coronation happened on Sunday the 15th, on the day in which it is celebrated in the Church. Her sacred body remained in the sepulchre thirty-six hours, just as the body of her divine Son, for her transition and her resurrection took place in the same hours of the day. According to the computation given above, I advert that this miracle happened in the year of our Lord, fifty-five, which had advanced as many days as intervened between the Nativity of the Lord and the fifteenth of August. 781 We have left the great lady at the right hand of her divine son, reigning through all the ages of eternity. We now return to the apostles and disciples who, in flowing tears, surround the sepulcher of Mary in the valley of Josephat. St. Peter and St. John, who had been the most constant in their attendance, noticed that the celestial music had ceased, for they failed to hear it on the third day. Partly enlightened by the Holy Ghost, they conjectured that the most pure Mary had arisen and had entered heaven body and soul like her divine son. They conferred about this matter and came to the conclusion that so it must be. And St. Peter, as the head of the church, decided that such a wonderful fact should be ascertained as far as possible and made known to those who had witnessed her death and burial. For this purpose, on the same day he called together the apostles, disciples, and the other faithful at the sepulcher. He told them of his reasons for the conjecture now in mind of all and the reasons for manifesting the truth of this wonder to the church namely that it should be reverence in the coming ages and would redound to the glory of the Lord and of his most blessed mother. All approved of the decision of the vicar of Christ and at his order immediately removed the stone which closed the sepulcher. This being done, they saw the grave despoiled by the sacred body of the queen of heaven and the tunic in the same position as when it had covered her, showing that it must have passed through the tunic and the stone of the sepulcher without disturbing any part of them. St. Peter took out the tunic and the mantle, and, with all the others, venerated it, as they were now certain of the resurrection and assumption of the Blessed Mother into heaven. In mixed joy and sorrow they wept sweet tears at this prodigy, and sang psalms and hymns of praise and glory to the Lord and his most blessed Mother. 7.82 In their affectionate wonder all of them remained looking at the sepulchre, Spellbound until the angel of the Lord descended and manifested himself to them, saying, Ye men of Galilee, why are you astounded and tarry here? Your and our queen now lives body and soul in heaven and reigns in it forever with Christ. She sends me to confirm you in this truth, and in her name I tell you that she recommends to you anew the church, the conversion of souls, and the spread of the gospel. She desires to tell you that you now return to your ministry with which you were charged and that from her throne she will take care of you. At this message the apostles were consoled. They experienced her protection in their wanderings and much more in the hour of their martyrdom. For to each of them did she appear in that hour to present their souls to the Lord. Other particulars concerning the transition and resurrection of the Most Blessed Mary were not made known to me for record here, nor have I, during the whole course of this heavenly history, had any choice of saying except what was made known to me and what I was commanded to write. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 7.83 My daughter, if anything could lessen the enjoyment of the highest felicity and glory which I possess, and if in it I could be capable of any sorrow, without a doubt I would be grieved to see the Holy Church and the rest of the world in its present state of labor, notwithstanding that men know me to be their mother advocate, and protectress in heaven, ready to guide and assist them to eternal life. In this state of affairs, when the Almighty has granted me so many privileges as his mother, and when there are so many sources of help placed in my hands solely for the benefit of mortals and belonging to me as the mother of clemency, it is a great cause of sorrow to me to see mortals force me to remain idle, and that for want of calling upon me so many souls should be lost. But if I cannot experience grief now, I may justly complain of men that they load themselves with eternal damnation and refuse me the glory of saving their souls. 784. How much my intercession and the power I have in heaven is worth has never been hidden in the church, for I have demonstrated my ability to save all by so many thousands of miracles, prodigies, and favors operated in behalf of those devoted to me. With those who have called upon me in their needs, I have always shown myself liberal, and the Lord has shown himself liberal to them on my account. Yet, though many are the souls whom I have helped, they are few in comparison. With those whom I could, and am willing to help. The world and the centuries are far advanced, while mortals are tardy in turning toward the knowledge of God. The children of the church are involving themselves in the snares of Satan. Sinners multiply, and crimes increase." because charity is getting cold even after God became incarnate and has taught the world by his life and the doctrine, redeemed it by his passion and death, established his evangelical law for the guidance of his creatures, illustrated them by so many miracles, enlightenments, blessings, favors in the church and in its saints. In addition to all this, God has in his goodness opened up his mercies through me and my intercession, constituting me as mother, advocate, protectress, and helper of all men, and though I am most punctual and liberal in fulfilling all these offices, the result is inadequate. After all, since the crimes of men merit the chastisements which threaten them and which they begin to feel, and since under these circumstances the malice of men has already reached the highest possible point, what wonder is it that divine justice be irritated? 785. All this, my daughter, is true. But my kind and clement love exceeds all this malice, detains justice, and still inclines the infinite goodness toward men. The Most High still wishes to give liberally of His infinite treasures and resolves to favor those who know how to gain my intercession before God. This is the secure way and the powerful means of advancing the Church, of improving the Catholic reigns, of spreading the faith, of furthering the welfare of families and of states, of bringing the souls to grace into the friendship of God. In this work, my daughter, I have desired thee to labor and assist according to thy power and with the divine grace. Thy labor shall consist not only in having written my life, but in imitating it, by following the counsels and salutary teachings which thou hast so abundantly received, both in what thou hast written and in other favors and blessings of the Almighty. Consider well, my dearest, thy strict obligation of serving me as thy only mother, as thy legitimate and true teacher and superior, who favors thee with all these and many other condescensions. Thou hast likewise often renewed me and ratified the vows of thy profession into my hands, and hast therein promised me special obedience. Remember the promises thou hast so often given to the Lord and his angels. Many times we have manifested to thee our will, that thou live and act as one of them, and that thou in carnal flesh participate in the condition and activity of an angel, that thy conversion and intercourse be with those purest spirits, and just as they converse with each other, and just as the higher enlighten and illumine the lower, so they will enlighten and instruct thee in the perfections of thy beloved and in the exercise of all virtues, especially of the mistress of all of them, charity by which thou mayest be inflamed in the love of thy sweet master and of thy fellow men." To this state thou must aspire with all thy powers, in order that the Most High may find thee apt for the fulfillment of the Most Holy Will, and of all his wishes. May his powerful right hand give thee his eternal benediction, show thee the joy of his countenance, and grant thee peace, so that thou do not make thyself unworthy. This concludes our reading today for day number 364. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 22, paragraphs 775 to 785. I must admit, at the beginning of our reading today, reading the chapter heading, I was a bit worried that we wouldn't get the end of the story of the apostles at the tomb of Our Lady. But Maria of Agreda was able to get it into this chapter, and I was delighted to hear it. Now, I will tell you, I've read several different Dormition accounts of Our Lady They all differ. They all have their nuances and such. And one of the things I always appreciated in some of the accounts that I read was that it was actually four days that it took for the apostles to open the tomb. There was still that angelic music, so that's a common thing. But it was because St. Thomas arrived late, And because of his late arrival, wanted to pay homage to Our Lady. And so they opened the tomb for him to do that. And that was when they realized the body was not there. So that's not the story that Maria of Agreda relates. But the one that she does relate is one that is kind of similar to the other accounts. We have the apostles who are very much sorrowful over the fact that Our Lady has passed. But then they open the tomb and they see her tunic there and they know that God has raised her then uh, to the divine heights, body and soul. I think the apostles at the tomb brings closure to this story of the Assumption. Now, one of the things that we realize that Our Lady does for us is that she now is our Mediatrix of Grace. And we heard the Trinity today in paragraph 778. We heard this. In view of all this, we make thee the depository of our riches, the treasure of our goods. We place into thy hands the helps and blessings of our grace for distribution. Nothing do we wish to be given to the world which does not pass through thy hands, and nothing do we deny which thou wishest to concede to men. So you have Mary's intercession, what you wish to provide. You have the fact that the Trinity wishes to dispense grace through the hands of Our Lady. And this is something that maybe some people struggle with theologically, but I think it makes sense that Mary, who is the fullness of grace, that from her overflows the grace of the heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that grace then floods out Into the world. And in the instruction that Our Lady gave in paragraph 784, she says, How much my intercession and the power I have in heaven is worth has never been hidden in the church. For I've demonstrated my ability to save all by so many thousands of miracles, prodigies, and favors operated in behalf of those devoted to me. The great miracles that Our Lady has obtained for the church. We celebrate some of those miracles, such as the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, her intercessory power with the Battle of Lepanto. We see testimonials of her intercession at shrines where people have left things behind, or in the European shrines where they put little remembrance plates on the wall saying this is an acknowledgment of a grace received. And then finally, in our reading today, I'd like to draw our attention to uh, our lady speaking to Maria, saying, Thy labor shall consist not only in having written my life, so again, rephrase that for us. The labor shall consist not only in having read about my life, but in imitating it by following the counsels and salutary teachings which thou hast so abundantly received." And that's our goal, that's our aim now, that we've taken in this magnanimous work, this 2,600-plus page biography of Our Lady. We've learned so much, and now we imitate it and follow the counsels that Our Lady gave. Having read this book, it now has the potential to change our lives. I'm Father Edward Looney.